Amen. Am I the only one that just wants to keep doing that? <laughs> you know, I was thinking as I was sitting there, I, I, I'm, I would lean more toward the intellectual side of spirituality. Um, but yet singing, there's something I have to sometimes intentionally give myself over to the emotional side, to feel and to sing with, with, with feeling, um, and that's okay. So I, I just, I was thinking about that as I was sitting there. Maybe some of you are a little bit reserved, like me, mainly men, of singing is not really our thing. You know, just sometime when we're singing, maybe at the end, just give yourself over to it. Just pray, God, Holy Spirit, touch me in this time, because there's something about when the Holy Spirit touches us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. We are here because of you. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the lack of wind. God, thank you that we can gather to worship you. Holy Spirit, most of all, we want to be in your presence. We want you to be here. We want to do nothing to be in your way. We want to connect with you. We want to meet with you. You say that in your presence is, uh, in your presence is fullness of joy, and that's what we want. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was eight years old-ish, somewhere around there, eight or nine, I was at camp, Camp Iana. Iana stands for I am not ashamed. And this was a small camp in Colorado that I went to every summer. And I remember when I was eight or nine, and I don't remember the words, but I remember sitting in chapel, um, and there were pews back then, but I was sitting in these pews and listening to the, the speaker, and he was talking a lot about heaven and hell and sin, and basically he was just sharing the gospel, that I was a sinner, I deserved hell, and it was for some reason something clicked with me while I sat there. Now, I had prayed the prayer before with mom when I was like five years old, and I remember that too. I remember kneeling by the fish tank and giving my life to Jesus. But when I was eight is when I really, I think, got it. As I sat there, something struck me of, I don't deserve life. Jesus earned it for me. All of that clicked. Um, and so it was one of those, stay behind if you want to give your life to Jesus. So I stayed behind. Um, and one of the counselors came and grabbed me, and it wasn't one of the counselors I really liked. But that was my fault. But he, he took me outside, and I remember we sat down on a, on a stump, and we just talked. You know, And he, he listened. He listened to me. He let me share. He shared the clear gospel, and we prayed together and gave my life to Jesus. And I remember a lot of the detail. Again, I don't remember the games we played. I don't remember exactly what the speaker said, but I remember feeling it. I remember realizing intellectually and at a heart level, this is true, and I need to surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, what if, what if the speaker decided to be touchy-feely and not share the truth of heaven and hell in the gospel? What if what if a counselor wasn't there available to pray with me? You know, each summer now, uh, I get the blessing of going to uh, Cowboys Rest. Callie and I are on the board of uh, Cowboys Rest Camp. And the big night at camp is Thursday night. Because the kids come in Monday, they leave Friday, and, and it builds all week. It's wonderful because cell phones don't work out there. So the kids that sneak them in, they can't use them anyway. Um, but every day they go to chapel in the morning, they go to chapel at night, they have a great time. And it's a time to separate from the world a little bit and actually connect with God. And there's an amazing thing of when you actually disconnect internet, phone, you disconnect, you can hear from God. And so we see these kids go through the week. Um, and at first they come in just wanting to have fun. By, by the second or third day, the conversations get better uh, as they open themselves up. And, and Thursday night is that night that everybody's preparing for. The speaker is preparing for, the counselors are preparing for, because that's when the gospel is clearly shared and an invite is given for kids to respond. Now, 
you may be thinking, and rightly so, that's one of those emotional manipulative places, and, and that can happen in those environments. But that's not the goal. The goal is to lead kids to a point where they can surrender to Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you, Thursday night, it's one of my favorite nights even of the whole year as, as we watch, as we see kids get up and leave and they go down to the campfire, but there's always a handful that stay behind. And I, I enjoy that time because I go to the back and I just walk around. I get to pray for, for the kids. And, and if, you know, if there's too many and all the counselors are taken, then I'll get to go grab one and, and pray with them. But that's the night where kids surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the night where, where other kids go outside and they pray for those friends of theirs that stayed behind. Have you ever been part of that? Have you ever been part of lives being changed with the gospel? The point where somebody surrenders and goes, I believe and I'm in, I surrender. There's nothing better. It's like being at a birth. If you've, men, it's better for us than for you at the birth, I think, but... But if you've been at a birth, when a new life comes into the world, it's like, wow. I remember seeing Lydia, our first one born, and at first it was like, huh. Um, but it was still magical. <laughs> but it's a similar way with new birth. It's a similar way when somebody receives life. And so as we're, we're ending up this series, and actually we're ending the book of Colossians today, I want to ask the question, can somebody be a faithful Jesus follower and not have a heart for the lost? Can somebody be a faithful Jesus follower and not engaged in the mission, including sharing the gospel? I would say no. I would say the Bible is very clear that if we're going to be faithful Jesus followers, we are going to intentionally engage the mission that Jesus set for us. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And then he says, as the Father sent me, I send you. So we have this same mission that we're sent on, that Jesus was sent on to seek and save the lost. The word for it is evangelism. Evangelism, it means to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're called to be a witness. Jesus didn't really give us an option. He said, you will be my witnesses. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a similar, there's a parallel story. Uh, it's in 2 Kings. The nation of Israel was was in a battle, they were in a, in a war, and the city, a certain city, was besieged. So it was surrounded by the enemy. Uh, no food was coming in. They cut off the water supply. So the people inside were, were dying of starvation. Horrible things were happening inside the city. Well, there were four lepers. And if you know anything about leprosy, you don't want it. And you, you don't want to be near somebody that has it. And so the way they dealt with leprosy then was they kicked them out of town, basically. And so these lepers would hang out at the gate and they would beg. Um, and here they are begging in a city that's besieged and nobody has anything, so they're not getting anything. So they say, well, we can either die here or we can go die from the enemy's hands or maybe they'll just take us captive and give us food. So anyway, they go, they decide they're gonna go to the enemy camp. They go to the enemy camp, they find out the enemy's gone. What had happened was God had intervened and, and the enemy that was there had heard chariots coming, they had heard all these, this stuff happening and they freaked out and they fled. And so the lepers come in and they find the camp abandoned. And, and not just abandoned, it was like they dropped everything and ran. So the tents were full of their stuff. The tables were still full of food. And so the lepers went in and they ate. And then they went into the first tent and they plundered it and they went to the forest and they hid the stuff. Uh, and then they were on their way to their second tent to do it again. And one of them said, wait a minute, <laughs> today is a day of good news. If we wait, if we, if we don't go tell right now, that we should be punished for this. And so that's what they did. They went back to the city and they said, good news, 
the enemy's gone. And so the city was saved. But the city was saved anyway. They just didn't know it until these lepers came to tell them in a similar way. That's us as believers. We have the good news that rescue is available. But a lot of the world, they don't know the good. They don't know it. They're like they're in a city and they're dying and they don't know that salvation is right there waiting for them until we tell them. And so we're going to look at Paul talking about evangelism today. And my hope, because when we talk about evangelism, if you're in here right now, maybe your toes are clenching a little bit because it's like, this is the hard part of the Christian. This is the part I'd rather not deal with. Um, I'd rather just come to church, even be in a group. That's cool. But share my faith with somebody. What if they won't like me anymore? You know, what if I mess up? I mean, that's a big one. That's been a big one for me. What if I say the wrong thing and then they'll never be saved because I messed it up? Well, I hope that today as we look at how Paul instructs us in the area of evangelism, that we'll get some confidence that it's not as hard as it seems. <laughs> it's not as daunting. And we take more responsibility for it than I think we should. I put in my notes this morning as I was going back through, you know, if there's one area I need to grow personally, this is on the top of the list. You know, as a, as a pastor, a preacher, I believe strongly the passage has to be preached to the preacher first and, and applied. Um, and so this is one where I go, I have a, I have a long way to go in this. Uh, but I would also say that as a church, as Common Ground Church, if there's one area we can grow the most, I think it's this one. This is the area where not only I can grow, but I think we can grow, and I think we're going to. God wants to do that through us. So turn to Colossians 4, if you would, please. Uh, you can do it on your phone. You can, uh, there's a Bible underneath your seat. You can grab that and pull it out. But Colossians 4, it's on page 1088 if you're using one of the Bibles under you. Colossians chapter 4. But to catch us up in context, the book of Colossians is really all about believing rightly about Jesus and then living rightly in response. That we are chosen by God. We are adopted as his sons and daughters. We are made new. We are brought into his kingdom. It says we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Now, because of who Jesus is, the son of God, died for us on the cross, rose again. Because we're new in him now, we live differently. And he says things like this, you know, put on Jesus Christ. Take off your sinful ways because we still can live the way we used to. You know, that's one of those things. Sometimes you'll hear, oh, if you're a new Christian, you know, you can't be a Christian because you're not new. You don't, you're still struggling with sin. No, honestly, here's our struggle as Christians. We still struggle with sin. And so this life is about becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the sanctification process. Last week, we talked about looking back now, what is our measure? What is our goal? You know, it's not sinlessness, although that is a goal. Um, it's not uh, knowledge, although that is a good goal too. But our real goal is love. That as we become more like Jesus, we will love more like Jesus loves. And we'll, we'll see it in our homes. We looked at that earlier when we, we went through the family series. We'll see it in our homes. Husbands will love differently. Wives will love differently. We saw it in the workplace. That was last week that we will be the best employees and employers if we are faithfully following Jesus. And now we're looking at our relationship with the world. So look with me at Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. We're going to read 2 through 6. Paul says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. 
Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you're a note taker, you got notes coming in, um, or you can download the app, Common Ground Carson, you can take notes on there. Um, or you can just take notes in your Bible. That's what I like to do. But look, in, how does he start this? We know he's talking about evangelism. He's talking about a, a Christian's relationship to the world. But he begins, in verse 2, by continue steadfastly in prayer. It begins with prayer. And whenever we talk about evangelism, being a witness, we always start here because the Bible always starts here. What I appreciate about what Paul says is he sets it clear who is really responsible when somebody's saved. God is. God is. That's, if we can get over that part, it'll change everything. If we realize that, that somebody's salvation doesn't rest on us, then we're going to be better, effective witnesses. Because as Paul says, it's up to God. And so we pray. We pray that God will give opportunities. Look at how we pray. Alert and thankful. Alert and thankful. This goes back to last week where I said there's no distinction between secular and sacred. You know, a lot of times we think church is sacred, we pursue God here, then we go to work or school and we don't need to pursue God. You know, this idea is being alert in prayer, meaning we're kind of always praying. And Paul says that. He says, pray at all times, never cease praying. So as we're working, as we're going to school, we kind of have the dial open with God uh, and we never hang up. Uh, there's, there's never the dial tone, the if you're under 10, you've never heard that sound probably. <laughs> Actually, this past year we went on a vacation, we found a pay phone and it had a dial tone and the kids took turns listening because they had never heard it before. <laughs> but, the, but the idea is with us, there's never a dial tone with God. Communication is always open. So we're alert. We're seeing what, because God is at work. And this is what's exciting. You know, we want to be part of a movement that God is doing. And God is at work. We don't have to create a movement. We want to join him in what he's doing. So we're alert to what he's already doing. There's already people in our lives that God is reaching out. God is touching. God is working on. And then we're just a tool, a hammer, a screwdriver. We're just a tool, whatever God wants to do to help in that process. But it's really his work. And so we pray alert for what he's doing and thankful. You know, that idea of being thankful, it's just the attitude of a believer. A bitter, grumpy Christian is an oxymoron, or just a moron. <laughs> There's no such thing as a faithful Jesus follower who's grumpy, bitter, oh, woe is me, because a Christian, and this is what we've led up to through Colossians, we're saved. We can live in the gutter, but we're saved. You know, God has saved us. He's adopted us, and he's good. So whatever situation we're in, although we can cause it with our own sin, God is allowing it to happen. We can trust him. So we can live thankful and joyful. And so that's the way we pray. We're praying thankful. You know, if you push pause, then you won't hear it anymore. <laughs> um, but so, so it begins with prayer. Effective evangelism begins with prayer. But pray specifically. Look, verse 3. At the same time, pray for us, pray also for us, that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul right now is in prison. 
Paul has been, he goes on these missionary journeys and he has his companions, his partners that go with him. He never goes alone. Um, and here he's arrested and he's in prison for sharing the gospel. Uh, and he's writing this letter and he says, pray for us. But what does he pray for? What is he asking them to pray for? Open doors. That's the first thing. Opportunities. He said, pray that we will have opportunities to share the gospel. Opportunities for, to speak into somebody's life, to share Jesus. Pray for opportunities. And then that they will share, that they will, they will know what to share. What does he, look at this, um, the mist, that is, verse 3. Uh, pray that an open door for the word to declare the mystery. Biblically, what is a mystery? In the Bible, a mystery is something that cannot be known unless God reveals it. So what he's saying here is that the gospel is a mystery. That the way people are made right with God through Jesus Christ is a mystery, meaning nobody's going to discover it on their own. It's impossible. Scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the, way, in the end it's the way of death. Just go on the street to, to somebody who hasn't heard the gospel. If they believe in an afterlife, ask them how to get there. Work hard. Balance good and bad. That's where we land because that's where we logically go, isn't it? We need to be better than others or we need to be more good than bad. Nobody is going to, without hearing the gospel, without being exposed to Christians, go, you know what? I, I know there's something wrong with me and I think it's sin. And I, I keep doing this and you know what? This sin has separated me from God because there's a loving God who created everything. Um, and he created me to be in relationship with him, but now that's, I'm, I'm not in relationship with him because of my sin. And there's nothing I can do about it. So good thing God sent his son. He became flesh and he lived a perfect life and then died on the cross for my sins. And so he was the sacrifice. And, you know, by sacrifice, there's, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so God had to die, but God can't die. So God had to become a man and the man died. So Jesus died for my sins. And now I just have to believe. Nobody's going to land on that, are they? Nobody's going to figure that out. That's why he says it's a mystery. That's why he says, give me opportunities to share this mystery. Because all these people around me, they're not going to figure it out. I have to tell them. Somebody has to tell them. So that's his prayer. His prayer is for opportunities to share the mystery. This might not have been a big deal in this country 50 years ago. Because 50 years ago, we were a Christian nation. Everybody knew the gospel. It's not that way anymore. You'd be surprised if you read the newspapers and even after Easter, there were several in big newspapers like Washington Post, New York Times, there were articles about Easter that were wrong and they had to retract them because they didn't understand what Christians actually believed. And these are people, it passed through the editorial process and was printed. Our nation right now, many don't even know the gospel, this mystery. So we have to tell them. That's his point. Pray for an opportunity to share the mystery, which is Jesus Christ. So we, we plow the field through evangelism, or we, we plow the, the field of evangelism through prayer. I like that picture of, uh, the Bible uses that, of kind of a, a seed being planted. So a seed is planted uh, of the word. Uh, sometimes it'll sprout and it'll grow into real life. Well, you plow the field through prayer. We're praying first and we're praying for opportunities. And then when the opportunities come, we pray to share it clearly. The witness then clearly explains that the only way for a person to be right with God is by placing their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you ever wonder, 
If I get a chance to share, I don't know what to say. That's all you got to say right there. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. That the way to be right with God is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. It's that simple. And so we clearly explain. But there's something else I want to notice in verse 3 about a faithful witness. Because that's what we're talking about. We want to be faithful Jesus followers. We don't want to be just churchgoers. We don't want to be just good people. We want to be faithful Jesus followers, which means we will be faithful witnesses. But here's something else. What does he throw in there in verse 3? He says, pray for me for an open door that I will declare the mystery of which I am in prison. Paul's in prison because of this message. The faithful witness is willing to suffer for the message. The faithful witness is willing to suffer for the message. That's what it means to be a faithful Jesus follower, that we share and it might cost us. Paul was in prison. Paul was beaten. Throughout history, you look at Christians sharing their faith, it's been horrible. We are in a, in our country right now, we are in the most peaceful area of Christian history, but that may be changing. California is trying to pass a law right now that, you know, I'm not going to go into the details, but basically pastors or you and I, we could be sent to jail for giving somebody literature or, or sharing with them if they want to have a sex change operation or something and you try and lead them through that toward Jesus Christ, you could be arrested for it. So go look it up. But that's the way our country is going. So we may, we will suffer. Uh, I wrote in my notes here, honesty check. Because we talk about this a lot, um, and especially those that have public jobs or, or government jobs, say, if I share my faith at work, I could lose my job. Well, we need Christians in the workplace, so don't lose your job. But, honesty check, how often do we use that as an excuse? How often do we say, I can't share my faith at work, and so we don't look for those opportunities? I think sometimes, absolutely, we need to be careful. I know teachers need to be very careful. But there's times where we know we can't, and we're just using it as an excuse to not. So, don't use that excuse, but don't get fired. Now, we could stop here, because so far, Paul says, pray for me. So pray for the missionary. Pray for the missionary that I will have an opportunity. Oh, and the missionary might suffer. We could leave it there. And then we, as a church, we send money to missionaries. We pray for them. But then he goes on in verse 5, and he talks to you and to me. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. The mission of speaking the gospel to those far from Jesus belongs to every single Jesus follower. Again, no division between secular and sacred. If you're a teacher, if you're a plumber, if you're a contractor, if you're a landscaper, whatever it is you do, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have connection with other moms, whatever it is, or... or with other horse owners. <laughs> you have connections with, with people. My point is, wherever you are, you are a witness. No distinction, secular and sacred. And so Paul's saying, wherever you are, kind of like last week, talking about work and school, act wisely. It's your responsibility and mine to live wisely. That means live according to his word. We live differently. Be wise how you act. Live intentionally according to scripture and all that you do. You know, as I was sitting there thinking, I was thinking, how could a Christian live wisely and look different? Well, here's one of those, finances. 
What's our American way? Take on debt to get the things you want. Live beyond your means. That's the American way. What does the Bible teach? It says the, the, uh, the borrower is the lender's slave. The Bible very clearly says do your best to not be in debt. Uh, as we were going through Rooted, so you saw the highlight for Rooted. There's a week on finances. And I read something that week, and they said it in a way that I've never heard it said, and better than I've ever heard it said. And he said this, if a Christian is living in debt, living beyond their means, it means they're telling God, you haven't given me enough. I don't trust you enough with what you've given me. I need to borrow to get more. So with what you've given me, I can afford this car. But God, that's not good enough for me. I want this car. So I'm going to get a loan and live beyond my means to pay for this. Now, financial advisors, Christian financial advisors would, would make exceptions for maybe school loans uh, and, and house loans and things like that. And there's a time when you need a car and you've got no money and you've got to get a loan. But a Christian financially is going to live differently with debt, with giving. Here's, here's, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things we talk about is giving, is tithing. And for those that are new to the faith, it's like a, wait a minute, the Bible teaches we should give money back to God? It does. But it's my money. <laughs> no, it's all God's money. He's letting you hold on to it. So when we give to charities, when we give to things, that's different. Uh, there's a couple, godly couple, not here. Uh, they encountered some legal issues because of something. Not, they're not guilty, but, but legal issues. And so attorneys are getting into their finances. And one of the things that kept pop popping up is, what is this? Why is so much money going to this place? What's their church? And so that raised an issue with the attorneys and things going, where is all this money going? Because they give so much money to their church. They give so much money to God's work and missionaries that they're going, what's, what's with this? And that was an opportunity to go, we belong to Jesus. So we live wisely. We live differently in the world. Conduct yourselves wisely. Uh, have you heard of the Pence rule? That's in the news sometimes. Mike Pence, the vice president, he has this rule that he will not ride in a car alone with a woman. He will not eat alone with a woman. And it's, they call it the Pence rule, but it's been around forever. Uh, Billy Graham, that was one of his rules. You know, with Callie and I, that's one of our rules. If you have those kinds of boundaries, people will go, that's weird. <laughs> What's up with that? Why won't you go eat with me? Why won't you ride with me? And you get an opportunity. We live different. That's what I mean by wise living. That's what the Bible means. By live wisely, you will look differently. Live wisely. If you are a person's only exposure to God, what do they think of God? Because we talk about this often, that Jesus, the Christian life is, is not us living for Jesus. It's Jesus living his life in and through us. That's the Christian life. That Jesus carries out his work. God doesn't work around his people. God works through his people. Meaning, you, as bearing the name of Christian, represent Christ. So, if, if you're the only Christian somebody knows, what do they think of God because of you? Live intentionally. Live wisely. And he says this. I, this is fun. Make the most of your time. This is verse 5. Walk in wisdom, making the best use of time. Very literally, it, that means redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Meaning, purchase the time. So he's saying, buy back the time. It's a weird way to say it, actually. He said, you know, make the most use of your time. Buy back the time because it's limited. And that word time, there's actually several words that can be used for time. This one refers to a season of time, one that has a beginning and an end. So you have a limited amount of time, so buy it back, a certain season. And so what he's talking about is this season right now 
where we live in this world at this time where people can be saved through the gospel. That's a season. When Jesus returns, that season is over. And, and Jesus is delaying because he wants more to be saved. He says that in, in the book of Peter. He says, uh, what does he, what's that verse say? Somebody knows it. Um, God is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why hasn't he returned yet? Because in this season, people can still be saved. So buy back the time. So here's, here's a, a picture for that. Time. If you're 40 years old, I figured average in here might be 40. Um, no judgment intended. If you're 40, this is how many weeks you have. If you live to be 80, this is how many weeks you have left in your life. This is how many Saturdays you have left. This is how many Sundays. So we could, we could count them. It might take a little bit, but it wouldn't take very long to count these. The, this verse is talking about a season, redeeming the time, buying it back. You only have so much time. You only have so many opportunities. Who are those people in your life that maybe you get a, a chance maybe to share Jesus with them and you go, not right now, later? Well, that's an opportunity. I dropped it. That's an opportunity gone. You only, you only get so many. And we don't know how many. We don't know how long our life is going to be. We don't know how long these relationships last. So maybe, maybe with somebody, we only have this many opportunities but we don't know how many. This is six beans. We have six opportunities. And so we get one and, and we, we miss it because we're thinking about something else. We have our own problems going and now we, we get another opportunity. Oh, I might not say the right thing. We just miss that opportunity. He says, buy back the time. Make the most use of every opportunity because you may be the only exposure somebody has to Jesus Christ. Buy back the time because it's limited. We've done this illustration before, but I think it's a really good picture to look at how much time is left. We think we're eternal, but we're not. Buy back the time. Now keep looking here in verse 6. It says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer each person. The faithful witness is careful how they live, knowing they are a living testimony to Jesus. A faithful witness is willing to clearly explain the gospel. I skipped those. That's why I went back to that. But how do we speak? So it, it, in verse 5 and 6, it says, live wisely and then speak. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you know, I, my life is a testimony for Jesus. You know, people know I'm a Christian, so I live for him, but I don't speak it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says live for him, yes, live wisely, and then speak. When you get the opportunity, speak, share. And how do you share? Gracious, seasoned with salt. This is one of those areas that the church has often gotten it wrong, or individual evangelists have gotten it wrong. Somebody gave me a DVD a couple years ago, and it said how to answer the fool. Um, and it was how to, how to do street evangelism and grab people and show them how foolish they are and the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and they get that from where the Bible says, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. And the Bible does teach that. But is that a very gracious way to begin a, a conversation with somebody? Is that a very godly way, loving way to try and convince somebody how stupid they are and how smart it is to believe in God? And the picture of this DVD had a guy yelling on the front. Like, this is the evangelist. I mean, he's so awesome. And he's just yelling. And I, 
I looked at some on YouTube, and his whole thing is making people look stupid. And I thought, that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says when you share, be gracious, seasoned with salt. What is salt good for? Making things taste good. Now, in the first century, salt was indispensable. They didn't have refrigerators like we have. So it was used for, for preserving, but also for seasoning. And in context here, it's probably talking about more of the seasoning, that your words should taste good to their ears, if that makes sense. We're not condemning. We're not yelling. We, we are sharing graciously and lovingly. Uh, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The faithful witness speaks with grace, gentleness, and love. But he also says this in, uh, in verse 6. Let it be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The idea here is that there's a relationship and you're sharing individually. Each person is different. And so you may connect with them differently. They have different life experiences. And so there's a relationship typically involved here when we're sharing Jesus Christ with somebody. So we dig in. We build relationships with, with lost people not as an agenda to save them because we love them, because we care about them. Next week, when we go serve our community, it's not an ulterior motive to grow our church. It's not an ulterior motive to get notches in our belt as people are saved. It's because we love our city. Because God loves us and has saved us. We love our city. We want them to experience what we've experienced. No ulterior motives. So we pray for the lost. We pray for opportunities. Then we're willing to share when the opportunities come. There's no greater joy than participating in Jesus' mission. We're going to continue to worship. We have two more songs. But what we're going to do, here's our, here's our to-do. As, as we close in song, as we sing, there's two more songs. We have our prayer area here and here. We have these you know, chicken wire prayer boards where you can write on a piece of paper, roll it up, and stick it in there. This is a prayer between you and God. I want you to think about one name. One person that God has put in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Somebody you care about. Not, I'm not talking somebody that should be your project. That's not it at all. But somebody you care about that God also cares about. And I want you to pray for them today. Pray for them by just putting their name on a card and putting it in. And by doing that, you're saying, God, give opportunities for me or for others to share you with this person. Pray that this person will be softened and that they will respond when they hear the gospel. As this process goes, some plant some water, and some harvest. It's not about being the one who converts somebody. It's not that at all. Sometimes you get to plant a seed just by sharing, by the way you live and speak in Jesus. Somebody else will plant another seed. Someone else will water by the way they treated them. And then finally they'll respond. You know what? Everybody's part of that process. So I don't know what process you will be in the part of the name you're going to write down, but prayerfully consider who are you going to pray for. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. We, I feel like we pray this so often. Thank you that you work through us, not around us. Thank you for letting us participate in your mission to seek and save the lost. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for our hearts. Um, I know for me, <laughs> when I get focused on me, um, I don't have a big heart for the lost. Um, but when I'm focused on you, when I'm abiding in you the way I should, for some reason, my heart is knitted to yours and I care about the lost. I actually care about the person in line behind me. I actually care about my waiter or waitress. Uh, 
So God, I pray that you would soften our hearts for those who don't know you. God, that we wouldn't just obey your word, but that we would obey from a heart that desires what you desire, to see the lost saved, to see our city changed for you. And God, I pray for the names that we're about to write down, that you would give us an opportunity to share you with that person, that you would soften the heart of that person, that you would bring others into that person's life to share you, and that we would see a great harvest at this church and at the other churches in town, that we would see a great harvest of people saved and a movement for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.